Hello, Karis Podcast listeners. Today, we're going to be talking about something that seems to be a hot topic, which is how to raise sturdy kids or kids with grit. In short, how to help our kids deal head on with the difficulty and challenges that they'll inevitably face in their lives. So before we get started, I wanted to encourage our parents with something we've been seeing and hearing about. We believe that classical Christian schools help to build sturdy kids, and we're hearing from our parents and other parents across the country that many never understood how the classical Christian school would affect their children, but they're being equipped to deal with life and become resilient, vivacious, problem-solving souls. We just recorded a podcast, which will be coming out in a few weeks on the Good Soil Study, which was a groundbreaking study conducted by the University of Notre Dame, tracking the outcome of alumni of classical Christian schools. We'll talk more about the survey in detail in the podcast, but you can go to classicaldifference.com to take a look at the survey results, and I think you'll be encouraged. Until then, here is our podcast for today, talking about building sturdy kids. All right, hello and welcome, Karis families, to the Karis Podcast once again. We are here today. I am Katie Tuck, and we're here with Kim Nielsen and Monty Canetter. And we are talking today about building sturdy kids. We're thinking about our our education as an atmosphere, a discipline, and a life sort of series that the Charlotte Mason quote. And we're talking about the discipline section right now. So we're thinking about what it means to build sturdy kids or kids with grit. Um, So Monty, could you start us off? Sure. I'm going to start by reading a quote from the Aeneid, which is actually a book that our, our students read. And I'll, I'm actually going to read a couple quotes from some other authors that our students will read as well. Okay. So this is Virgil, and he's talking about the, the Romans and like the Roman ideal of what a kid should be and how their child should be. And it might be slightly jarring. Oh, boy. A hardy breed. We carry our newborn children to the streams and harden them in the bitter, icy water. As boys, they spend wakeful nights in the chase, scouring the woodland. But in manhood, unwearied by toil and trained to poverty, they subdue the soil with mattocks to shake town and shake towns in war. Wow. So, so we should be putting our infants in icy water. Exactly. That's, that's point, if you right? take anything away from this <laughs> podcast, that's exactly what I'm saying. Thank you, Kim. <laughs> no, I mean, I think we read something like that or we hear something like that and we think, wow, this is, I mean, this is, it's, it sounds crazy to us. And yet, I think we have to ask ourselves the question, why is it that something that thought good, that seemed like it was good to other people and seemed natural to other people, why does it seem so crazy for us? Uh, and I think one of the reasons is we just, we don't have a a, a biblical view of pain and, and suffering. Hmm. Um, we think they should be avoided at all costs. And, and now don't get yeah. me wrong, I think there's been some really bad theology in the past where Christians have been like, let's whip ourselves or wear like a horsehair shirt or like in the, you know, the Egyptian desert, let's build a really tall pillar and just sit on there for 40 years and let the weather just harm us and fast ourselves half to death. Like, like that's wrong. I don't think you seek out pain and suffering, but they're not the worst things on earth. And there are times where avoiding them is actually worse than, than, than embracing them. I mean, just, just to use like a really basic example, think about like uh, kids, right? If they don't like get kind of, I don't know the right word, just bumped and knocked around a little bit, their bones become weak. They, they need right. to have, like, contact. They need to fall down. They need to learn how to fall the right way. If you try to keep them from any type of scrape knee or, you know, bump on the leg or whatever, they're, they're, they're going to be weaker long term. I mean, this is like, as you say that, one, yeah. of the, one of the theories with autoimmune diseases is that we're too clean, right? So if you're not exposed to certain bacteria and viruses and things over time, you don't develop a healthy immune system. It's the same kind of idea, right? You you need some adversity in order for your body to be healthy. Mm-hmm. Right. Good. So so I got a couple more quotes. I'm just going to keep going Yeah. Um, until Katie cuts me off. Uh, so this is from <laughs> Psalm 66. So I'm just going to try to show a couple different points in the Bible where it talks about suffering, pain, or difficulty, and then just different Christian writers as well. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You, right, you, God, brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. 
You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, yet you have brought us to a place of abundance. Hmm. Uh, this is Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Hmm. All right, I'll read, I'll read maybe one or two more here. Uh, this is Thomas Akempis. This is from the Middle Ages. When, when Christ was in the world, he was despised by men. In the hour of need, he was forsaken by acquaintances and left by friends to the depths of scorn. He was willing to suffer and to be despised. Do you dare to complain of anything? Yet enemies and defamers, do you want everyone to be your friend, your benefactor? How can your patience be rewarded if no adversity tests it? How can you be a friend of Christ if you are not willing to suffer any hardship? All right, this is my last one. This is by uh, Soren Kierkegaard. Oh, boy. Which I don't, yeah. Okay, I'm just going to, I'll just read it without comment. Surely you have experienced, as I have, that when you begin to mourn and say, I can't take anymore, that on the next day you discover that you could. Consider a team of horses that groan and pant, feel exhausted, and feel that a handful of oats is just what is needed. However, they also don't realize that with only a momentary halt, the heavy loaded wagon will roll back down the hill and plunge them and their driver and everything into the abyss. Is it cruel of the driver that the lashes fall more dreadfully than ever, especially on this team of horses, which are as dear to him as the apple of his eye? Is this cruel or kind? Is the driver cruel when the lashing is finally the only thing that can save the horses from ruin and help them pull through? Right. So again, just if you didn't catch the picture, it's a, a team of horses. They're going up a hill. They're weighted down. And if they stop their movement, right, the weight's going to carry them back down and, and destroy them. Yeah. Um, again, there's, there's lots of other things we could say. But I, th I think what the Bible teaches and what Christians have believed is that suffering is not a good. Like it's not like something you seek out. It's not something you want or, I mean, pa pain in general, hmm. right, but that it has good purposes, um, right? In Christ, they can have a good purpose. And so when we're talking about raising sturdy kids, we're going to be talking about like, getting them to embrace hard things, to do things they don't want to do, to say no to their stomachs, to say no to their desires. And if we don't think there's a purpose at all for difficult, for hard things, for, for discipline, um, nothing that we say from here on out is even going to make sense. Yeah, yeah, yep. that's true. We, um, I know we're supposed to be done with the, Part, but I have one more. <laughs> oh, there'll be more. I have one more. There'll yeah, be more. Good. Um, <laughs> Hebrews 12 was what came to mind yeah. while you were talking, Monty, and just mm -hmm. like that we, right, we're striving for endurance. And it, um, do you have this too, Katie? Yes, I'm um, to note here. Okay. So Hebrews 12, 5 says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, you are illegitimate children and not sons. And so anyway, we, we talk about this a lot in our family too. Like, I'm disciplining you because I love you. Right. This shows my love for you because you need to grow in this. And every growth takes discipline. Yeah. It reminds me, sorry, I'm jumping in ahead of Katie. It reminds <laughs> me of the story, in, uh, so I'm, this isn't my idea, this is from Augusta. I'm trying not to like name drop and be like, oh, look at, oh, I, I read this. Um, but but I'm also <laughs> trying not to take credit for ideas that aren't mine because I barely have original ideas. Uh, but right, Augustine points out, right, Jacob. When, when mm -hmm. Jacob wrestles with God, in one moment he's both lamed and he's blessed. That's the yeah. same action. And again, that's, that's, I mean, that's challenging. Like I read that, I think about that, I think, Boy, I don't know if I have a spot in my life to think about God bringing in something that that causes me significant harm or diminishment, and that that is both right a diminishment and a blessing from God. That's good even in the midst of that, that difficulty. Yeah, like you walk with a limp the rest of your life. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Well, there's that poem. I think it's called "The Mendicant," which is like the beggar, and I don't remember who wrote it. I'll add it to the show notes, but it's she's asking 
the Lord for some gift from his hand, and he gives her a thorn. She's mm. like, "What? why did you give me this thorn? So of course, it's put very beautifully, but it's basically like, I gave you this thorn, this difficult thing in your life to pin aside the veil that hides my face. Mm. Like you, I think that's, as believers, we believe that that theology of suffering is, it's going to be here because of the fall. We have suffering, but because of Christ, all our suffering is gain because we see him more clearly, we become more like him, and we get closer to him. I was thinking, actually, I think the Hebrews 12 that I had down was right after mm-hmm. where you where you were, Kim. It was, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but mm-hmm. later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. So it's generally even on this earth, even if it's something difficult mm-hmm. with suffering, we are sharpened by it, which is, yeah. God-given gift. So as parents, as we're talking about raising sturdy kids, there was a saying a long time ago that was, um, you're not supposed to prepare the road for the child, but prepare the child for the road. Mm. But I've heard from others, now we, we will probably keep quoting Keith McCurdy, who has talked on classical podcasts. He's a, he was on a classical Christian board. He's a psychologist, and he's got a website called is it sturdykids.com? It's, it's called livesturdy.com. Livesturdy.com. Okay. Well, he has been very helpful. He's made me think a lot about raising sturdy kids in the last several years. But he's you, some of you may, may have heard of him. But he talked about um, all these parents he's talked to, all of the United States, thousands and thousands of parents and students. And somebody asked him, are we still in the helicopter parenting phase? And he said, well, actually, no. We're in the snowplow parent phase is what he called it. He's like, uh. we're not... Um, we're not helicopter parents anymore. We're trying to plow the road so our kids have zero trouble anymore. But that means they're not equipped for anything difficult, which is really kind of crazy. So, um, and hard. I mean, it, it, we're seeing it in all kinds of places. So, um, well, yeah, and I, I'll jump in. I'll say please. it's a fallacy, too. Mm-hmm. You, you can't, I mean, like, it's, it's absolutely impossible to keep right. your kids from difficulty. And the more we create that false sense of security in our kids, like we're, mm-hmm. we're actually not serving them. We're, we're harming their long-term development. Right. Absolutely. I think it's in, again, I haven't read this for a long time, but my kids um, have been reading screw tape letters various years. And so we've talked about that over the years. And you probably have this quote, Monty, better than I do. I just have the idea of it. But basically, you know, we're Satan's like, I think one of the, minor devils or whatever is coming and talking. It's this conversation with Satan um, about temptation and overt temptation, overt trials. And he says, oh, no, 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 no. Like, we want them, like, comfortable and easy. And basically, like, you're lulling them to sleep. Yeah. And that's where faith gets deadened. Mm-hmm. And um, that just really struck me that so often, especially I feel like in our culture, we – we can lull ourselves to sleep because we desire comfort so much and it becomes an idol yeah. um, for our kids as well. Right. So, oh yeah, go ahead. Marty. Yeah, if you don't mind. So Please, I, I yeah. think, so this is a side theory. Uh, I think one of the <laughs> <laughs> reasons that we, uh, that we think this way is just, is because of the power of technology, mm. right? It seems like what can't technology do? We can clear all the roads, right? So a lot of, um, parents have read and, and families have read the wing feather series mm-hmm. and in the fourth book which i'm reading through right now with my my kids uh the warden and the wolf king uh janner at the beginning of the book goes on a warrior's quest where he just gets dropped off and he has to find his way home and right with no provisions something at what age like 13 13 yes yeah. and this was i mean this was really common like i mean again across different cultures i don't know, know a lot of different cultures but i know um like i've, I've studied um some of the native american cultures like very common for boys 12 or 13 years old you have to go out you have to kill this animal yep or you have to find your way back mm-hmm. or you have to be able to you know fast for two weeks or three weeks or four weeks mm-hmm. for example because they realized the world was dangerous there were dangerous beasts there was potential enemies around every hill uh right that that um the weather was uncertain so if you hadn't trained your body to go without food for long periods of time your tribe or your your, your village or your clan or whatever could be in danger um and now we think well what's the point i mean like honestly like you look at like warfare it's like well it's just i mean this isn't always the case but right you know you think of like drone warfare or something it's like well just have our kids sit in the air-conditioned basement and play video games i mean that'll prepare better for war than football right as as we would have said a generation or two ago Hmm. Uh, but I, i don't think 
technology has fundamentally changed things. I think that's a big lie. If, if anything, and this is going to sound counterintuitive, I think our kids need to be stronger than they needed to be in the past because of the types of temptations, like what, what mm-hmm. Kim was saying. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, so for example, like if you look at like, you know, young kids, what are the most likely ways they're going to die? A lot of them are obesity related. Mm-hmm. I mean, like our kids are, it's slow, but they're literally eating themselves to death. So they need to learn how to like exercise self-control and not eat what they want to eat. That wasn't a problem 200 years ago. Like you just wanted to get all the calories you could because you were constantly undernourished. Um, I mean, our, you know, if you have a smartphone, like the access to just smut you have is is incredibly great. I mean, like our 15-year-old boys, if, you know, a lot of them have smartphones. Like they have access to like a virtual harem that's, you know, I mean, almost infinite in its size. It's bigger than any tyrant or any king has ever, ever collected. And they need to exercise self-control and not give them themselves over to those impulses mm-hmm. um, the immersive virtual realities right that that actually take away from being a productive person from making meaningful connections uh, our kids need to, to have the strength to be able to say no to these things and yeah. I, I just don't see the trajectory you know with the trajectory on like things changing significantly mm-hmm. you know like everybody going Amish or anything like that you know it's yeah that yeah. and just like you're bombarded by so many different messages and you know, I think about social media even and just um, it can be good messages but you're constantly bombarded by what am I going to think about what am I going to meditate on what am I you know and there's so much information coming at you um, that yeah you do need to be able to discern and have the strength and the perseverance to discern what is what is truth but then also what what do I do about it um, so yeah, that's a good point, Monty. Yeah. And I just say, too, like, cool Kierkegaard reference, but you get extra points in my butt for the wing feathers. <laughs> <saga. laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You can tell where I am at. <laughs> Love it. So uh, how do we start? How do we start um, looking at this, and what can we do as families? Well, one thing we were going to talk about is just their security in your family, being a part of your family and their identity as a child of God. Um, so what do they do as part of our families? What role do they play in our families? Well, a lot of our kids don't really have chores these days, right? I even look at my kids like, wow, you don't, you don't do the, (laughs) I should be, you know, having my kids do a lot more chores than they are, but that is one way they can contribute to the family and they're a part, they're like that part of their identity is part of our family and they're contributing to the family life. I don't know, what do you guys think? Security, identity? Yeah, I think, you know, we, we've talked to our kids, like you are kind of like we talk about our Christian identity, but, but the same thing with our family identity, like you are a Nielsen. That is who you are. Yeah. And because you are a Nielsen, this these are the expectations like this is how we treat one another yep. but it, if you don't do that it doesn't change the fact of you are a nielsen right, right. so we we don't want to reverse that mm-hmm. like if you do these things then we love you or then you're a nielsen yep um and i think we're we're trying to talk about that because that's so important our identity in christ like you have this identity in christ and that is secure but that doesn't mean you don't look or act a certain way because of that. Right. But when you flip it, that's where things get squirrely. That's where you get anxious or legalist or, you know, despondent. Like, leads to a whole bunch of mess. But I think for us, you know, we've talked about that. And, and that's even with chores, right? So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm struck by we do have our kids do chores, but it's like, please take you like 10 minutes. It's not like this is a heavy chore to do or to help with. But right? You, you do this out of love for each other and for our family. Like this helps us run. And this is a blessing for everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, when we maintain this and becomes habit and we persevere in these chores, even though they're, you know, unload the dishwasher or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think this is really foundational. I think it's really fundamental. Um, every single kind of wicked, tyrannical, totalitarian movement, that they, they always go after two things. One, the first is the church, uh, and the second is the family. And and because it's these two institutions, they're both ordained by God. Yeah. 
Uh, they're both created by God, and they both give us purpose, and, and they both give us meaning. And if you're a tyrant or you're a dictator or you're right, you know, you're trying to create some kind of totalitarian structure, you want people to find their purpose and their meaning in your thing. Mm-hmm. And and so there's it, so like in um, right the Soviet Union, for example, the way these institutions were attacked was very obvious and clear. Uh, but in the United States, I, I think there's a lot of pressure on these institutions. It's just not as as clear. Right. I mean, from something as little as, you know, like so when I was a kid, right, I'm, I'm not that old. I'm only well, I'll let you guess. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, right. You know, when I played Little League and soccer, we did not play games on Sundays. Right. And, and now that's changed. Right. This idea. It's like, well, are you going to are you going to play your Little League sports or are you going to go to church Sunday night? Mm-hmm. Right. We, I mean, there was even things that were limited on Wednesday night because the idea was that there was youth group and there was, uh, you know, Awanas and, you know, whatever we called it back then. Uh, on, on Wednesday night, um, right? And then just even even on the family, just uh, just watch like you know programming, like and and think of like 1980s sitcoms, The Cosby Show, or like Full House, where the family unit is is central. I think you'd be very hard pressed to think of entertainment where the family is kept kept central and held in high regard, right? They might be like Family Guy or something. I don't know, but I don't think the family's like <laughs> held in high regard. I don't know. I'm not not exactly watching that show. Um, <laughs> So, so, um, yeah, so I think it's, again, I think it's intentional. I think it's d- d- demonic, the, the pressure on these institutions, because they're so important in giving us our identity and our meaning. And like Kim was saying, everything comes from that, right? You, you lose that purpose. You lose that sense of identity. People cannot live without that purpose and that sense of identity. And they're going to, right, 100 times out of 100 times, seek it somewhere else. Yep. Mm-hmm. I just um, got a chance to talk with some of the college UW college women this weekend, and we um, we studied kind of the famous passage of building on the rock and building your foundation on the rock in Matthew seven, and um, yeah, just so often we're trying to build life on things that are shifting around, and we build our security on things that aren't consistent, mm-hmm. and that's I think what we're seeing and it leads to a lot of anxiety depression um or pride sometimes um but those things don't last and so i think this is a really important important first point is where is your identity found and it has to be on something and we can as a we can model that in our families but even family can't be our kids security you know um and so I want our family to to model and to be a place where it's like a word picture for our kids of their security and identity in Christ. But I think just the foundation has to be on your identities in Christ. And that's never changing, mm-hmm. right? It will never fail. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like that's the true, that's the true freedom. And that's the true like sturdiness. But it also takes time. Like we talked about, you know, if you're doing something hard, it that takes time. Like to build a strong foundation, like when you watch a house being built, right, the foundation is boring. <laughs> like it doesn't look like anything. It's not the flashy part. It's not the beautiful part. But if you don't take time doing that, then the thing that looks beautiful won't last. And I think that's kind of this foundation of like this building sturdy kids. Yeah, it's like you have to take time to build a strong foundation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I think part of that is we've talked about it before in other podcasts, but boundaries um, and freedom within those boundaries. But those boundaries make kids feel safe, and so mm-hmm. I think that's part of your family, part of your discipline. That this is what we do as a family. These are our boundaries, and as as they get older, because they're not going to be always within these boundaries. They are as toddlers and then as grade schoolers, and then as they get their license, you know, they've built up this trust and they found joy and even fellowship in the family for being a part of this family unit. They have security in this. We follow these standards, not because we had to fit ourselves into them, but because we love this standard that you've given us and that are God-given standards as part of our family. And then they can get more freedom. And then it's not like they're bucking against that freedom Mm -hmm. as they get older and, um, really trying to like get outside and rebel outside of these things, they're realizing that there's safety and freedom and joy within these standards, which they've grown to love in our families that give them the freedom to see their identity only in Christ. 
or maybe see them as a blessing even if they don't love love Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because they're not fun. I think sometimes we we say like, oh, they love these things. And that's not, sometimes it's not an emotion that's like, oh, I I love these, you know. But but oftentimes if they experience that, they do see the fruit and the blessing behind it. Yeah, Yeah. because when you're out of, when your family's just in general enjoying one another, you are a joyful, loving family. When somebody's out of fellowship or there's something going on, you can feel that, mm-hmm. and that just feels off. And everybody in the family, like you, you don't want that anymore. Yeah. You know, like um, you really try to get back into fellowship. And so that's even when our kids are little, that's how we try to talk through discipline. Well, we need to get back into fellowship. We need to be back on the same page. You need to apologize. Both of you need to apologize. Then you need to repent, and then you need to forgive each other, and then it's over. We don't talk yeah. about it again. You're back in fellowship. We're in this joy again. Um, and you're right. It's not super fun to do all of these things. It's not a, something you love, but you love like the flavor of the home, which is true fellowship. So this is a good, I mean, again, I wasn't planning to say this, but this is a good, um, it's bringing conversations to mind of like where it's easy when your kids are fighting. It's easier for me as a mom to just kind of dismiss it or like, oh, just work it out by yourselves. Or, and sometimes they need to do that. But right to try and do a quick fix. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's this time that I think it takes, like discipline's not pleasant in the moment, right? Is like, I have to stop what I'm doing um, and we have to deal with this, right? So I have to force them to talk through it, to learn how to communicate with each other, how to listen to one another, how to love one another, how to repent, mm-hmm. right? That takes time. Yeah. And it's so easy to just try to get back in comfort and peace, but it's a false comfort and peace, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I think that's yeah. what you're saying. Like, yeah. it's this boundary, but that that takes some time. It takes discipline to do that. Yeah. So I remember Keith um, McCurdy talking about kind of walking through kind of this, maybe jumping ahead a little bit, but this order of things, right? And so how often he sees kids that come in and they haven't had chores. They haven't had a lot of discipline because when they're little, they're like cute and they haven't had to pick up their toys or, you know, do certain things. But then they get to kind of the preteen teen years and now we expect them. Now they're actually hopeful. I just did that in quotes. You can't see that. <laughs> but um, it hasn't been done incrementally. And so you have teens and you're trying to give them responsibility, but you haven't built that in them and so they're supposed to have all these privileges but they don't know how to work the responsibility and it leads to all this like angst and anyway I would love to hear from you guys like how you've seen through the years like how you've started when they're little and then how you've kind of maybe it chores as the example or I don't know it could be conflict too or anything like how you've done that in your families where you've kind of built incrementally so then as your kids get older they have like the muscles for responsibility and they can handle those privileges that come with it that was a really long-winded question no it's true (laughs) well I think what you're asking too is like what I'm what I'm thinking of when it comes to proper order it's like you have a responsibility and then the privilege comes yes and so it's like um somebody gave the example I heard somebody say like you learn the math facts and then once you can do that well, then you get a calculator as a tool because you already know how to do it to make everything easier later on. But that keep doing Emily, your math oh. facts. Otherwise, you'll oh, forget yeah. your math yeah. facts if you're always using your calculator. Yeah. And that was Emily Cox on a recent podcast episode. You can go back and listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> it was an interview that you did, <laughs> Katie. Yeah, yeah. I just realized it was so good. Yeah, yeah. Emily's awesome. So, yeah, go listen to that podcast if you haven't yet. Emily's great. So, um, so it's that. Or something like... Um, Your kid, and I think this is from Keith McCurdy, I believe, but it's like, I am not going to fight you on not getting your room clean, but you have to get it done and you will do nothing else until it's clean. So you do that responsibility, you get nothing else until it's clean. It might take forever, but you're not going to get whatever it is. No screens, no fun, no games. It's okay. You can do it whenever you want, but you got to get that done and that comes next. So So when did you start having your kids clean their rooms, right? So that can't start when they're a teenager that all of a sudden you're like, hey, by the way, you should be cleaning your room. I've been doing it for 15 years, but now you need to do it. 
right? So like how how did you incrementally kind of I mean for us almost from the start, you know, with yeah. our kids like our our daughter is 2, like when you're done playing with your toys, pick them up. Yeah. You know, put put them away. Our our son is 5, like pick up after yourself, pick up your room, put your you know, pants away when you're done wearing them and you know, our kids that are 8 and and 9, like Here's a washcloth, wipe off the counter when we're done eating. One of you guys sweep, the other one of you guys do dishes. So right away, and, you know, honestly, they they do things poorly. Sorry, kids, if you're listening to this, but they they generally (laughs) do things poorly. And that's okay, because what we're trying to do at a young age is to to create the expectation that you're part of a a household. You have responsibilities. Um, Like one thing I joke around about, well, okay, so I've already talked about dipping kids into icy water and... (laughs) totalitarian Soviet Union. I mean, like in this parenting. So what, why not? But like one Throw thing, what, one thing I, I joke around with my kids. Um, and again, it's a joke because I, I, I'm not a communist, but I'll say like, look in our house, we <laughs> Thank are. Thank you for clarifying exactly, that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. We're communists, right? Like we all have to contribute to the commune, you know, and oh, you, got, you got to do your part, what you can. And, and you're going to be able to contribute different things. And that's okay. Like our oldest okay. is like, this isn't fair. I'm like, yeah, well, if you want to talk about unfair, let's talk about all the stuff I did for you the last 12 years. I think I've got you beat, you right. know. Um, or the privileges that you have. And the privileges you have as well. Right. Ex- exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, yes, I think that the short is just as young as you can. I mean, like your five-year-old can go and get them out and he can pick up the shoes and put them yeah. on the shoe rack. And your, you know, eight-year-old can probably start doing dishes or, or doing yeah. some basic sweeping and, and, and wiping up things down. Um yeah. I would um, encourage having your kids help with laundry. Mm-hmm. And again, incrementally, I remember my sister's five years older than me. So her her girls are a lot older than my kids. But she was saying, you know, they would have friends that when they went to college hadn't ever done laundry. Like They didn't know how to, they had no idea how to like wash their clothes or fold their clothes. or, And so that was kind of like poignant in my mind when my kids were little and so I would have them help me fold like you fold these you know they're like five and it it was horribly done Mm -hmm. sometimes I would redo it I would try not to redo it and just be like okay that's great here let's put it away or at least help put your clothes away right so I'll fold it you put them away and then we increment like my kids all do their own laundry it's a huge blessing but it's also valuable for them because they know they can do it. They they know how. They're not going to leave the house and be like, I don't even know how to do this simple task. I think that is such a great, yeah, a great example of how long it takes to teach mm-hmm. our kids to do something, something that would take us 10 minutes, even like baking, cleaning, doing laundry, doing yard work, whatever it is. It would take us a very small amount of time, but training your kids to do it for probably a longer period of time is going to take, you know, two hours every time. That's going to take you 15 minutes, but it is going to pay off, you know, exponentially later on. And then there's, hopefully they'll find something that they love. It can just build into their character as well. But um, yeah, that's something I, I struggled with when they were younger and I'm, I'm seeing it now too. It's mm-hmm. like, I can do this way faster. I just need to get it done. I, I need can to do it better. Done. I can do it better. <laughs> I can do it faster. I can, and then I have to redo it. I have to also be careful when I redo something that I don't like, redo it in front of them I want them exactly. to feel like they're clean put it away even if it looks bad so they they ha- they find that value in there it's like well mom's gonna redo it anyways why should I do it I think that is like you are contributing thank you for folding this it doesn't look that great I'm not gonna say that but you know right. I think it's like if they feel like they're actually contributing that's gonna help their joy instead of like well I'm not gonna do it right the first time yeah, yeah. and discipline doesn't mean like you're heavy-handed no and sometimes that's how we think but like that's a good example of like you can in- be disciplining them in a sense of like I'm building this habit into them mm-hmm. and it can be it doesn't have to be like a huge burden or discouraging to them mm-hmm. um, even though it feels like probably a weight I don't know any child that's like I really love folding my clothes <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> but you can encourage them as you go along yeah I think sometimes I think of discipline as like kind of this heavy-handed yeah, yeah. that's not how God disciplines us no way yeah. I mean, two, two thoughts. One is if you're a parent and you're like, ah, oh, this is so hard. What am I doing wrong? You're probably not doing anything wrong. I mean, even you yeah. might be, I don't know, right? Yeah. But you're probably not doing anything wrong. It just is hard. It yeah. takes a long time. Yeah. I, like I, I think of, you know, my kids and getting them to, to not be picky eaters. And my, mm. my oldest too, like mm. they're pretty good, right? My next one, it's, he's come along like my five-year-old. It is just like my wife and I look at each other sometimes and we're like, 
what are we going to you know, do? Like, he's just so challenging. We'll just, you know, like, we try to set him up so he can win, like, so he can be both obedient, but it's not overbearing. Mm-hmm. And he'll just work himself up. He'll get himself in tears. He'll get himself to throw up. Wow. Right? Yeah. And, you know, and what I what I tell her and what I, what I tell you guys is we're going to outlast him. Yeah. I mean, like, mm-hmm. it just it just takes an incredible amount of energy to raise dirty kids, to develop discipline in them. You have to be really disciplined yourself. Like, yeah. he's, I mean, not consciously, but he's waiting for us to be the ones to back down. And we're not, like, I don't care if he's 15 and I'm cutting, like, <laughs> bites of steak up and putting them in his mouth. Or, I mean, not, like. Steak, wow. Well, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, or whatever, yeah. yeah. Or whatever, the Brussels sprouts yeah, or whatever yeah. he doesn't like to eat. Like, yeah. But, like, I'm not going to stop. Like, he might. Be trying to be choose to not be an obedient son, but I'm not going to stop doing my job as a parent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that God, you know, Lord willing, I'm going to be able to continue this faithfully, and He's going to come around. But it just takes a long time. So, in that example, can you connect the dots? Mm-hmm. Like, how does that build sturdiness mm-hmm. or grit? Yeah, I mean, most of success in life is tied to doing things you don't want to do. Right. You know, one of my jokes is like. Um, you know, happy marriage is 90% who does the dishes. Like, nobody wants to do the dishes, right? But if, you know, if, you, if you're the type of spouse that's like, I'm just going to sit back and let the other person per- perpetually do it, like, there's going to be a tension on your marriage. If it's a marriage where both, you know, partners are like, hey, like, you've had a long day. Let me let me go ahead and help that out, help you, help you out with that. Um, you're going to have a successful marriage. Like, a friendship, let's say, right, is sticking with a person when they are going through something difficult and they're not like, Filling your emotional bucket or whatever oh, <laughs> weird language, weird <laughs> language people use, right? Success at work is the person that's that's willing to do that extra fifteen percent, right? The person that does the extra fifteen percent at work, on average, gets paid an extra forty percent. Mm-hmm. It's going above and beyond. It's doing that extra thing, right? Again, who doesn't want to succeed at their work, have healthy marriages, and have solid friendships? Like you need that that grit everywhere, and it starts with doing little things you don't want to do that i mean like i don't like eating brussels sprouts who likes eating brussels sprouts maybe mm-hmm. you know, somebody but just training yourself you to do put some maple syrup on them and make it. <laughs> hey there you go now, now we're talking house, you hear that brenda yeah. <laughs> um i think i mean in the eating analogy it also changes your taste mm-hmm. right and so um you know augustine was you're reordering your loves right and I think when you're asking your kids to be disciplined or do hard things, you're you're also reordering their loves and helping them to develop a new taste for something that's mm-hmm. going to bless them in the future. So um, Brussels sprouts are good for you, right? And so if you just eat mac and cheese and pizza and chicken nuggets, this isn't going to bless you long term, but I have to develop a new taste right? If I only eat sugar, that's easy, but I'm not tasting what's truly good. It's mm-hmm. like, and so I think about that with whatever math or handwriting or whatever is hard for your kids, like trying to get them to see, we're going to do this for a season. Again, maybe incrementally, but like I'm trying to get you to develop an, a new taste and open your eyes to something. Um, otherwise you get stuck in your own mm-hmm world little tiny world mm-hmm. yeah i want to kind of roll back like kind of build off of that and come back to something earlier you were saying too like i, th- I think one of the reasons why as parents we kind of give up on, on pushing our kids forward is because it's exhausting and so the, the key is to not get yourself like kind of enmeshed in it especially if your kids are being emotional and volatile i mean i'm sure that my kids are the only ones like that like you know like like so for example let's say i say you got to pick up your room like if i sit there and watch them pick up the room i'm gonna pull my hair out because it's like (laughs) get moving go faster what are you doing like stop poking him why are you lying down and so i just again like something really simple and clear like look you guys it's movie night tonight we're gonna start the movie at seven o'clock that means you have 15 minutes to get this done Mm -hmm. if it's not done you miss the beginning of the movie Right? And it's simple yeah. as that. And I go up there at seven o'clock and, and give them that responsibility to do so that I'm not emotionally just, you know, exhausting myself uh, exactly. trying to, you know, like, like for like dinner cleanup, a lot of times, like I'll just go in the other room because sometimes my kids bicker and like, they need to like work that out. I'm not going to mm-hmm. tell you who's going to do the dishes and whose turn it is for the floor. You need to figure that out on your own. So I'm going to remove myself and let you figure it out. And when I come back, mm-hmm. it should be done. And and you're teaching yeah. them conflict management. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. Great. 
A um, couple other things I wanted to talk about if we have time, but one would be emotions um, mm -hmm. and how that has to do with building sturdy kids. I've talked to um, my girls a lot, but even my boys. And one of my boys is a pretty emotional kid. Um, and so we always talk about emotions are good and and they can help us see the world around us, but they are not king. Mm -hmm. And they actually don't, sometimes don't point you to truth. Mm -hmm. Like, so my emotions are not king. God is king. And so I have to see that truth outside of my emotions. So I've, I haven't, wa again, I'm super emotional. If you've ever heard me talk, I've probably cried in the middle of talking no about what I'm talking about. But, you know, so it's, it's not, I've always wanted, like, you can't shut down because there's, all, we've gone the opposite way in culture where it's like, you can't show your emotions at all. And that doesn't lead to healthy, sturdy people. Right. Um, so it's like, I don't want them to shut their emotions down, but I do want them to see that this is how you feel very, again, it's shifting sand, right? It varies moment by moment sometimes, not even day by day. And so what I think on truth, beauty, goodness, those have to be outside of myself and outside of my emotions. And I do think that's very different than the world around us. That's telling us to look at your heart. Your heart can't lead you wrong. Follow your heart. Sorry. My heart leads me a thousand different directions in a day. Mm -hmm. or, this, or this idea of like authenticity that like if you are feeling something and you have this like absolute carte blanche to, to express it completely as you feel it and you know any consequences that come, they're not your fault because you're just being authentic. Yeah, that's not right. No. Right. Yeah. You'll destroy people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, one, one thing um, th that I'll, you know, talk to my kids about, like when they're really getting, you know, emotional is just say like, look, like you feel this way and you kind of feel this way. It's not wrong, right? Your, your emotional aren't, aren't right or wrong, but you need to control it, right? Right mm -hmm. now it's controlling you and you need to find a way to, to back off and get it into its proper place. Yeah. I think sometimes um, like, you know, last night, uh, one of my students was, one of my students, one of my kids, was doing a project, and it was a big project. Now, they had been working on this for a really long time. So I knew, like, and they had maybe been getting emotional, but had really controlled that over time, right? But this is, like, hours, hours, hours that they've been working on this, and days, and um, still a lot to go. And... So I think sometimes it's looking at that emotions, not dismissing the emotion, but okay, um, let's, I should have stopped and said, let's pray about this first. Let's reorder our emotions. I actually did say it's become kind of a joke in our house, like, girl, go wash your face. <laughs> because I'm like, sometimes you do need to, st okay, step mm -hmm. away, mm -hmm. right? But it doesn't mean we're not going to do the task. Like, just because you're emotional, like the emotions are fine. Like, you, this is hard. This is hard. And you have more left than you thought you would. And it's getting late and you're getting tired. Okay. So I am going to come in and I'm going to help and do this alongside of you. But it doesn't mean, oh, you're over emotional. So we're just going to quit and not do it. Right. So I think it's kind of dealing with them. Like we're dealing with emotions. I want you to be able to have a place to go with those emotions. Sometimes. I do have to shut off the emotions to it so I can complete the task and then maybe go back to it later on when I'm not so tired or not so overwhelmed and think through why, why was that so hard? Why was that so emotional for me? But I think either we shut it off too fast and don't deal with the emotions or we just be like, oh, that's hard. And we step in and try to be the savior for our kids and we don't want them to cry. So we just do it for them or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this might s surprise people, but, like, when I was younger, I was a fairly volatile and emotional individual. Oh. Uh, and, I mean, what I've, what I've found for just for myself was just sleeping at regular times, exercising, yes. eating well, limiting news intake, social media consumption. Yes. I mean, that, that controlled, I don't know, probably 80% of it. Yeah. You know. Wow. I do have this. If you have not heard... I think it was during Family Education Week, Monty, where you were talking about the satellite classroom. Oh, golly. <laughs> I, I used this bring that up too. all the time in my home where you wrote on the board over and over, I don't care. <laughs> you don't want to do this? Oh, what? I 
don't <laughs> care. And it's become kind of fun at my mm-hmm. house. Mm-hmm. Um, they kind of giggle when I'm like, oh, you know what? I don't <laughs> care. But it actually was really helpful for me. And it's so and, loving. And it is so loving at it's times like, to okay, be able to say that. You can complain, but you know what? It's not going to change that we have to do this, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's become kind of a fun way for us to be like, uh, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. yeah. I'm just complete, you know, or whatever. It's right. like to bring us back around to like, okay, mom. Right. Good. I once had a, you can cut this part out if you want, this is a little <laughs> on a tangent, but I, but I once had a student, this She'll is like my, my yeah. first or second year teaching, and he came up to me, he's like, Mr. Knetter, I love you so much. You've just been one of the greatest teachers I've ever had. I'm like, really? Wow. That, that means, a, you know, really means a lot. I'm really touched. He's like, yeah, it's because you just don't care about us. I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> and then, and then he gave me the context. He's just like, almost, you know, he's like, so many of our teachers, like we can complain and we can be like, we have a basketball game tonight. And you're like. And they'll say, oh, okay, well, you can have an extension on your homework. Or, like, we have this going on. And he's like, and we can always manipulate them. We can always get what we want. He's like, you're one of the few people that just, like, look, this is what we're going to do. And you have to come on board. He's like, I've grown so much this year because of that. Because you didn't care about all these little complaints. And What a mature student to be able to see that, too. I mean, for sure. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think he actually put it in print or something like that, That's but it, like so it was like cute. all out of context. <laughs> I I was like, oh, well, let me explain this a little bit. Yeah. That's great. That's mm-hmm. really encouraging. Well, I think basically we can sum up by saying mm-hmm. our emotions, though God given and can be valuable, aren't a valid compass for our lives. Yeah. And I think that is something we can train our kids with. Um, even looking through the Psalms, it's like you know David and the psalmists, like they, they have this, you know range of emotions that's like from this end to the other and to the other end but always bring it back to but I trust in your unfailing love but I trust in the Lord like hinging truth on what truth actually is Mm -hmm. which is um, God is there God is unchanging um, all those things so you know I think sometimes it takes imagination which I have had to learn about and um, sometimes fairy tales and books and other things help with our imagination to teach our kids that emotions aren't the thing that we should be um, guiding our life by and stories help with that um, but yeah if we just kind of like we said before snow plow the way for our kids so they have no problems at all and if their emotions are telling them they can't do this right now and so they don't have to they're going to grow up to be very um, not sturdy adults <laughs> so flimsy adults so yeah that's good yeah, and I think if you see in a story like the Wingfeather Saga, like mm-hmm. you can see, look at what Janner was able to do, mm-hmm. right? And sometimes seeing it in somebody else helps you to realize your things in your own life. Um, and again, I probably won't go out and drop my 13-year-old in the middle of the wilderness. I maybe should, but um, <laughs> I'll let Janner do that, and we'll talk about that, you know, and... Um, but maybe they should be able to see that at 18 or 15 or 16. You know, I don't know. But I think being able to see it in a story, and that's why we love literature and fairy tales. And, um, you know, Katie, you talked about, like, biographies yeah. and things about people who have done difficult things and who have made it through huge trials. And that's really helpful for my kids to not only see, like, and be inspired by it, but also to see maybe my trials aren't as big as I think they are. Yeah. Um, I think of the hiding place that they read in Clay oh, Ten Boom. Yeah. And, you know, after reading that, it's like, oh, yeah, maybe losing my iPhone isn't as big of a deal. Yeah. Or mm-hmm. maybe being called a certain name or treated unkindly by a friend who didn't even mean it is not a huge trauma. You know, uh, mm-hmm. and so I think sometimes it helps give them a perspective that's outside of themselves um, and really see suffering, like what suffering actually is, too. Not that those other things are you know, easy to go through or whatever, but that's been, I think, really essential in my life as well, just being yeah, able to yeah. see outside of myself. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't know a single individual that hasn't accomplished something like significant on on any level whose life wasn't just, I mean, filled with suffering, difficulty, Mm -hmm. adversity, hardship. Just, yeah. I mean, unbelievable. Absolutely. Well, um, I'll just end this with this. Uh, I saw this quote by Tacitus. (laughs) I forgot about 
forget these classical writers. The desire for safety stands against every great and noble enterprise. Mm. Suffering you as a thing and sharpen us. So um, I forgot to ask you guys, but you're going to have to throw it at me real quick. A recommendation. Do you have a recommendation? Oh, Monty's nodding. It looks like he has one for us. I'm always prepared. He's always uh, prepared. I apologize okay. if I've already given this one. I'm one of like three other episodes I was on. But <laughs> I only have a couple to avoid. Uh, but it, I think it fits in with what we're talking about. It's by um, George MacDonald. It's called mm-hmm. The Wise Woman. It's a fairy story mm-hmm. or a fairy tale. Um, yeah, and it's about these, this is, I mean, this is written probably 170 years ago, and it's about these two girls who are in these child-led homes, these child-centered homes, and their parents are just spoiling, spoiling them, and so this yeah. Christ-like figure has to come, and again, this might, I mean, I don't know, I wouldn't use it as a model of theology, has to kidnap them uh, and take them away from their, their families, <laughs> and there's a switch of place, and they have to go through difficulties, and they have to learn hard work and discipline, um, and this is like their one shot, or, or it's like they're gone. I mean, they're done, like forever. And there is redemption, and, and it's a good, you know, it's, it's, it's he's a Christian author, and uh, has a good point. But it just, it, I think it'll challenging, it'll, it'll challenge you in your your parenting for sure. Yeah. Great. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, and it, it, sometimes it has a, it, it's it has two different title, titles. Sometimes it's called the Wise Woman. The other time, uh, sometimes it's called a, uh, what is it, a Double Tale, the Lost oh. Princess, a Double Tale. So okay. you might see it by either one of those. Oh, okay. Well, I have two. Well, I feel like we've talked about the Wing Feather Saga, yeah, by Andrew Peterson, yeah. and so I would we've probably recommended it. I recommend it like to everybody I talk to, um, but it is a really great story. Um, get past the first like book and a half, not past. If you read it out loud, it's a great read aloud. But mm-hmm. I would encourage to read it aloud because, again, building sturdy kids, you see the. The wing feathers go through all these trials, and I think it's a really beautiful story of of grit and perseverance and hope and redemption. Yeah. Um, but the real one that I was going to do was listen to Keith McCarty. Um, mm-hmm. That's a good I've one. been so encouraged. Uh, the first podcast I heard, I don't remember where I heard it, um, but it's been... I don't know, five, six years ago, yeah, yeah. and I keep referring to it. It was called Building Sturdy Kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you go to this livesturdy.com, it has a lot of the podcasts. And so he's on Searcy, he's on Base Camp Live, um, but I think they're all kind of collected into that livesturdy.com. And so I would think that would be my recommendation. Mm-hmm. That's a great one. Yeah. Um, my recommendation would be. Um, there's a missionary uh, called, her name is Lilius Trotter, and there's a book called um, A Passion for the Impossible, The Life of Lilius Trotter. It was a little-known missionary biography. It was just, it was pretty recent. 2003, it was printed, but um, she was an artist, an amazing artist, and a missionary to Algeria, and her story is just incredible. She could have been a famous artist when women were not famous artists, and um, yeah, she could have she could have been a big deal, but she chose to go to... Algeria and um, and be a missionary there instead. So you can read her book, and then you actually can buy her journal as well. And she's got lots of beautiful paintings in it. But yeah. um, again, it's just really encouraging to read these stories of missionaries. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Well, thank you so much, Kim and Monty, and uh, we will see you next time. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye bye.